to the goods a film podcast how are you doing this evening dan golly bob howdy i'm doing pretty good brian only a few days away from christmas that's right getting real close now you're probably experiencing it listeners shortly after the big day but yeah i wanted my official christmas pick to be something as dan just alluded to featuring jim varney today's movie to be discussed is Ernest Saves Christmas, the second film in the nine-film Ernest franchise. Nine is so many movies, Brian. It's a lot of them. How many film series out there do you think have nine entries in there? We're getting into Jason territory with this one. Or Michael Myers. Rare that a non-slasher protagonist gets this many movies. (laughs) I would watch Ernest as a slasher villain, though. (laughs) <laughs> so it sounds like you know jim varney from the toy story films any other examples no i think that's the only thing i know him from uh, at least prior to this past week well he was in atlantis the disney movie he played the prospector chef who's part of the expedition definitely a disney presence because actually the first four Ernest films were theatrical disney releases And Ernest cut the ribbon at the grand opening of Splash Mountain in 1991. Oh, wow. And he he was also in Cranium Command at Epcot. (laughs) That feels ironic, given how much of a dumbass he is. It's like his big persona. Right. Well, he's an example of a not super intelligent Disney character. I see. Yeah. Yeah. But then after the diminishing box office returns of Ernest Scared Stupid, the Halloween one, which I also recommend, Disney decided to end the franchise, but director John R. Cherry said no. Ernest still has legs. He must live on. He bought the rights back from Disney to go his own way with Ernest, and his first release as a solo indie film, was called Ernest Rides Again. That was number five. And then he quickly also put out six through nine. So a couple of things on Ernest here. So one is, I want to talk about the origins of Ernest. It's very fascinating to me. I don't know of anything quite like Ernest. So as far as I can tell, and you're the Ernest expert here, so you can fill us in, Brian, but... He was a character invented by Varney and and Cherry, the director of this film, for commercials. But like he didn't just pitch for one brand. He pitched for multiple brands. So he was like an invented character that became like the equivalent of a celebrity or like a franchise character who you might see like sponsoring different products or something. Except it was this this guy, this character invented whole cloth solely to be a dopey pitchman 
Right. He was a delivery vessel for your brand or your message. So he's not the Charmin Bears and he's not Toucan Sam. He's flexible. He he will shout your message from the mountaintops. So he also did like PSAs. And so I have like a DVD that's just a big compilation of all these old commercials that he would do. Oh, nice. I watched a YouTube supercut of like 10 of them. And they're all shot pretty interesting. I mean, uh, maybe not every single one, but the majority of them are shot like POV, like you're his neighbor and you're annoyed by him. And he says, hey, Vern. So I guess you're Vern. Right. POV, you are Vern. (laughs) And he like gets up in your face and they actually have a sequence in that style in Ernest Saves Christmas. That's right. Yeah. So there's a scene that recreates the ads. I, I enjoyed that. I also watched the first movie. So this was the second movie theatrically released. So I I also watched Ernest Goes to Camp, which is the first one. I strongly suspected that you might do that because you never you didn't ask, but I had an inclination that you were thinking, well, I'm going to miss things if I don't watch Ernest 1 and just go in cold to Ernest 2. No, see, it's not about the continuity because I could tell this one wasn't going to have continuity. It's about the context setting. It's like if I were going in to see this movie in theaters, what would I have already seen? What would my feelings towards Ernest be? So I watched some commercials. I watched the first one. So I got myself in the headspace of 1988 Dan. I was actually I should look what this was released because it's probably only a couple months after my birthday. What what zero year old Dan would have thought (laughs) going into the movie theater watching Ernest Saves Christmas. Well, I'm glad that you came in with some context, especially that you looked into the commercials. Do you know of any other characters like this who are multi-brand pitchmen, but are not just individuals, but like invented personalities? Not really. Not like Ernest. I mean, as far as pitchmen that you saw in a few ads, there's Billy Mays. But like he's stuck mostly with a brand or the Flex Seal Man. Yeah, or the... This is the Slap Chop guy. Was he in other things too? Vince. Hey, it's Vince with Slap Chop. But see, they're all playing basically themselves in, in those scenarios. And I guess Varney is like kind of playing himself, but like an exaggerated version with a fake name. I, it's almost like if I'm trying to think of what an example would be. Oh, like Larry the Cable Guy almost. It's like if because that's obviously not his real name. But if he was doing a bunch of commercials, that's kind of the same thing. That's probably the best example, because he's done a couple movies also. Okay, yeah. You know, Larry the Cable Guy, Larry the Cable Guy in, what, Delta Farce or something. He he had a couple. So, yeah, that's probably the closest thing. So, you watched Goes to Camp. That was the first one. Although, the character does appear in an earlier feature from Cherry called Dr. Otto and the Riddle of the Gloom Beam, which is quite a title. I saw that and it looked really fascinating. Apparently, he's only in like a pre-credits sequence or something like that. But Varney plays different characters in that, which he kind of does in this one, too, as we'll talk about. But I thought that one looked pretty interesting. Have you seen that one, Brian? Have not seen that one. Just so everybody is on the same page. I have not actually seen all the Ernest vehicles, all the Ernest films. Oh, you haven't? seen the whole set of nine no there's two i haven't never seen and one is pretty early on i haven't seen the third one which was Ernest goes to jail 
And one of the later ones, I haven't seen Slam Dunk Ernest featuring Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, that one just, those are probably the two, okay, I guess that one and Scared Stupid out of the rest of them that are the ones that I was like, oh, okay, I'd kind of like to see what they do with Ernest in this outlandish scenario. Uh, one thing that I read, um, I don't remember where I read it. It might have been in the overview of the Saves Christmas one or just something about Varney's life or something. But apparently towards the end of the, the run, they constantly were writing Ernest scripts and like trying to figure out what they were going to do next. They claim to have been doing pre-production on seven Ernest movies when Varney died. Wow. Yeah, in the Ernest community, it's common consensus that what would have been Ernest X, the 10th Ernest film, was Ernest the Pirate, but there is disagreement over how much, if any, of Ernest the Pirate was actually shot. Mm, okay. So does someone have, like, an in-process cut of Ernest the Pirate on a hard drive somewhere? I don't know. The death cut, like, when he was halfway through <laughs> <laughs> the one where he dies on camera. Yeah. <laughs> he died of lung cancer, which I noticed in these ones, the, the famous kind of gravelly voice that I think of Slinky Dog having isn't quite so gravelly. I think the the effects of his famous tobacco smoking habit hadn't fully kicked in yet. The one that I read that they were working on, and again, I can't, I could probably find the source of this, but was Ernest Goes to Space. Or it was like, I think it was Ernest Spaced Out or something like that, but the space one. Oh, man. I would have watched that. Yeah. A pirate one I would have watched, too. That sounds pretty fun. And Scared Stupid, I recommend. I was going to have it be one of my Halloween picks this year, but I rewatched it. I didn't like it quite as much as I remembered. But okay. it's definitely like top three in the franchise, at least. Uh, there are some stinkers. I watched for the first time... Ernest goes to school recently, and I thought that one was really dumb and cheap and just didn't have a lot going for it. So how much of that is just you're now in your 30s and Ernest doesn't have this quite the same charm that he might have when you were eight years old? That is a possibility, for sure. Although I'll say I enjoyed my time with Ernest this, this past week. My other Ernest connection is there was a funny and popular skit from SNL last year. That I sent your way that was short ass movies. Do you remember this, Brian? Right. Yes. And it's uh, a Pete Davidson rap where he talks about how movies are too long these days and he wants short ass movies. Give me a short ass movie. And he lists both long movies and short movies. And someone does a guest verse and says, I got nine for you right here and lists the Ernest movies, although when I rewatched it, I only counted eight that were on there. I think he didn't list Ernest Rides again, but I don't think that one quite flowed with the, the rhythm. But it's funny because they're talking about like famous movies that you heard, like Toy Story and stuff. And then all of a sudden he's talking about eight Ernest movies in a row. Right. Ernest in the army and Ernest goes to Africa. Yeah. I'll drop the link to that, that SNL skit in the discord. You can join us at the goodsfilmpodcast.com. And of course, I like the cutaway from Family Guy where Peter's at the video store and he's trying to choose between Ernest goes to the beach and Ernest doesn't go to the beach. <laughs> and it's like five minutes before the store closes and he goes, ah, because he can't choose. 
I guess you could say Ernest Saves Christmas is Ernest doesn't go to the beach. <laughs> it's true. He doesn't go to the beach. Despite being in Florida, that was what is interesting to me about this franchise of films is that even across movies, there's a very loose continuity of who Ernest is, at least as far as where he lives, what job he does. It's always different from movie to movie. It's like he's reinvented a little bit each time. So in Goes to Camp, it's been a while since I watched that one, but obviously he's like a camp counselor. What was your sense of where that one is set? That's a really good question. I would have probably said somewhere approximately in the Appalachian. I don't know. It, it reminded me of summer camps that I've been to. And and it's got like a mix of deciduous and evergreen trees and not too densely forested, but some woods. And yeah. So this one, Saves Christmas, is very clearly set in Orlando, Florida. And Ernest is a taxi driver. And then Scared Stupid, Ernest is a garbage man and he lives in Missouri. And they say not only does he live in Missouri, but his family has lived in Missouri for a century. So he just teleports. His his backstory changes. It's amorphous. Yeah, what what's the I want the the lore, the Ernest multiverse lore. Like what in this one he's from Missouri and in this one he's Florida white trash. Like I want all the different variations. So I feel like he's always got to be somewhat south. And yeah, I mean it's like the Legend of Zelda timeline. Like there's always going to be a link and he's always going to be fighting a Ganon, but he could be, <laughs> you know, slightly differently positioned in life and He's always a different individual. Who is Ernest in this case? Is he Link? Ganon is the big corporation. That's who Ganon is. Yeah. So I guess the unifying factors of Ernest is he's always working some blue collar job. He tends to like bond better with children than adults. And he's dopey, but good hearted. Right. That's what I actually found really endearing and unexpected was that even though it's like slapstick and dopey, Ernest is very good natured. You're always rooting for him. He's, he's an underdog, but he's a kind hearted, selfless underdog. Like he here, he's he's people don't have money. And so he's cutting them a break on the taxi fare. And in the camp one, he's standing up for the, the kids who are from the juvie center and stuff. So at the end, I guess, I'll ask you to also rate Goes to Camp. It's been a while since I saw that one, but I vaguely remember it enough to probably put a rating on it. And other highlights, I would say Scared Stupid is good. Rides Again is all right. That one is sort of like a national treasure thing. Like he's going around with an archaeology professor. And they know about this, like, secret treasure from the Revolutionary War. Oh, I always like that kind of stuff. That sounds fun. Yeah. And low light of what I've seen goes to school. Didn't enjoy that one. But are we ready to dig into Ernest Saves Christmas, the second outing in the series? Let's do it. All right. So this one, as I mentioned, is very much rooted in Orlando. And it was actually shot at the Disney MGM Studios lot there at the theme park. 
when it was briefly a Disney production hub. I don't think they actually make anything there anymore. But I think up until, like, Lilo and Stitch, they were at least doing some, like, filmmaking work there at the park. And there's this YouTuber that we like to watch, goes by Adam the Woo, who's this guy... He used to, like, break into theme parks, and I guess he made some deal with Disney that he wasn't going to do that anymore. Now he just, like, walks around the theme parks. But he did this really detailed Ernest Saves Christmas location tour a few years back, where he was going to places in Orlando where the different scenes were filmed. And then he said, Now Ernest's house is not somewhere that I can visit. Because it was on the back lot at MGM Studios. But I went there in 1988 when I was 11 on the studio tour. And he had like pictures that he had taken and gotten developed back in the day as a kid when he had visited the set at the Disney back lot van tour. Oh, that's awesome. So he, he was like right there in the action. He had everything. And so I feel even more of a connection to this now because my brother lives down in Orlando and works at Disney World now. So maybe the next time I go, I'll have to at least go to like the shopping mall, like the strip mall that Harmony runs out of and runs down the street being chased by the waiter when she dines and dashes or go to the bus station because those were two places that had like not changed at all. But as much as this movie is about Ernest, it's just as much about Santa Claus. It opens with Santa arriving at the Orlando airport, but he's in plain clothes, like a civilian suit and tie. He's also svelte for a Santa Claus, not too much meat on his bones. Right. It had me thinking of how the, the quote unquote 80s fat kid is like an average kid in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> like who's what's the name of the fat kid from the goonies or whatever chunk yeah exactly and this is one of a number of movies where santa is a job and a mantle that gets passed down from one person to another so things like the santa claus with tim allen or there's a tv movie called mr saint nick where it's charles durning as the old santa passing it to his son frazier and I think more recently, wasn't there one with Anna Kendrick and Bill Hader and their brother and sister and their Santa's kids. And like Bill Hader is the presumptive heir, like the James Caan, but things don't work out and it doesn't end up passed to him by the end of the movie. And then you've got Santa, Anna Kendrick. Anyway, it's one of those situations. And Santa has come to Orlando to appoint his successor. He says he's got to pass the torch because he doesn't quite have the magic for another trip. What did you think of this Santa, Dan? Douglas Seal. I liked him and I thought he was pretty charming and gave off that, that Santa vibe that that you're, you're safe with me, Mr. Rogers, but with a white beard vibe, which I think that's the way you got to do Santa. I don't like it when Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer makes Santa more misanthropic. I think Rudolph is a pretty singular example in that regard. Like, you don't have a whole lot of asshole Santa. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. There, there definitely is like a subgenre of subverting Santa stereotypes. There was one that came out last year, which I haven't seen. I don't know if it makes Santa mean or just like a defender of the good, but one where S- Santa is the hero in like a slasher type movie, not the villain, but the hero. Right. I believe you're talking about Violent Night That's with the one. David Harbour from Stranger Things. Yeah. And yeah, that is my understanding that it's kind of like a diehard terrorist siege movie. And then he's smashing in using his Santa powers to save people. Right. But this voice, I just kept hearing this voice. I was like, I know I've heard this actor somewhere. I must have seen him in something. And do you want to tell us what it was, Brian? He's the Sultan in Aladdin. And if you look at the character design, it's like they drew his face. (laughs) He looks like the Sultan. I can see that, yeah. But it's a good voice. And and then as soon as I saw your note about that, I was like, oh, that is it. And like I started thinking about it. I was like, yep, I can hear the Sultan from Aladdin in there. And I looked him up and he actually didn't appear in that many things. Like those were his two biggest most famous appearances right one other thing that i saw in his filmography that blew my mind was he's in amadeus yeah but he doesn't have a beard in the movie so it's like he's unrecognizable (laughs) the man that santa has pinpointed as his follow-up is this guy named joe carruthers who until recently was a children's show host in the orlando area and now he's doing like library appearances his show got canceled and in some ways that's good because now he's available to take a new job but his agent has plans for joe he wants joe to break into this burgeoning orlando film production industry and so he keeps trying to shoo away santa who just seems to be a raving derelict as they say on the simpsons You know, he's walking around in civilian clothes, promising that Joe can be Santa. So the the movie that he's going to have him appear in is there. It's a joke where I forget. It's like something sleigh Christmas sleigh Christmas sleigh. And so, of course, you're thinking, oh, it's sleigh like the thing that you ride. But the joke is it's actually S-L-A-Y sleigh. And the reason that this made me laugh is because it's a little bit of like a Gen Z slang to say that if it's something is cool, it slays, which if, if you know me and you know my family will like take one stupid thing and just go beyond beating a dead horse. We'll like try to apply the Simpsons rake philosophy to this one thing and just do it over and over again, by which I mean, if we do it enough. It goes beyond annoying and tedious how frequently it comes up and circles back to funny, right? If you do something enough and it's like become the bane of my wife's existence that me and my brothers will repeat the same dumb jokes to the point of exhaustion. But of of course, my sister has some of this, too. And the way that she has applied this in recent years, when she was in like middle school, what she did is she did a really bad fake British accent all the time. And I think she got some joy out of how much of a rise it got out of everyone doing a bad fake British accent. But now the past few years, it's been she replies to everything with slay. She'll just say slay. Anyways, the point I bring this up is because last year my wife got for my sister a shirt that just says slay 
in italic letters that she can wear during Christmas time. <laughs> so I felt a lot of uh, a lot of personal connection to this gag. Good. I was I was doing a little little uh, quiet clap. I want to watch this movie that they're in the process of making. <laughs> and yeah, this would be another movie about making movies. Mm, you're right. It could fit in there. So really, like, the broad strokes of the plot, Ernest almost doesn't need to be there. This is Santa's looking for Joe, trying to make this connection with Joe and make him the new Santa. How Ernest comes into it is that Santa arrives at the airport. He comes in in a plane. He doesn't have his Santa gear with him beyond he picks up his sack at the baggage claim. And so you're wondering, okay, well, where's all his other Santa gear and why isn't he using it to get around? And they don't really ever answer why doesn't he use it to get around from the beginning. My headcanon is maybe like the gas tank is filled up to only make the one Christmas magic trip. Like you can't use the sleigh other than just for the one big Santa trip. But Santa needs to a ride into town. And so he hails Ernest, who is a cab driver. And... In his first appearance, Ernest maybe kills his fare. <laughs> the guy who's riding in his car has a heart attack. And I think this time watching it, I actually heard him making some sounds after he collapses. But I've always taken it to be that he, like, actually died. And Ernest is, like, abandoning the corpse at the airport and looking to make a quick getaway. What's the Ernest body count in the movies you've seen by <laughs> I think this is the closest I've seen to him actually causing a fatality. But he drags Santa into his car and they speed off from the airport. Now, Ernest does undergo a lot of physical pain himself, like enough that would kill a man in many circumstances, which, of course, it's a slapstick comedy and he's playing the slapstick. So that makes sense. But one thing I read when I was looking at, I think it was maybe the Wikipedia article or maybe it was somewhere else, is that in later movies, they kind of play up that the Ernest might actually have superhuman strength or at least like resistance to pain gag. It's almost like a meta gag on Ernest being a slapstick character. <laughs> I do feel like it gets more and more cartoony as it goes. Uh, and also with regard to how he like shapeshifts and can suddenly do these quick changes and like be other characters. So there's definitely some of that in Saves Christmas, but they just go nuts with it in Scared Stupid. Like there are montages where he plays like 10 different characters and he's just popping in and out, being different people. So Ernest buys pretty early on that Santa is Santa. Well, I guess it's helped along by he looks in Santa's bag and there's like glowing magic inside. But like Ernest's character is gullible and willing to take things at face value in some regards. And he just has that childlike wonder. And this is contrasted with another character who shows up named Harmony, who is this runaway teen that winds up in the car because she's running away from like she stiffed a restaurant and she just kind of jumps in. And I like that moment when she like jumps in the car and Ernest is doing this weird John Wayne impression. He says, not to worry, little lady, you're safe with us. And she, 
she looks confused. And then they introduce themselves as Ernest and Santa Claus. <laughs> and she's like, oh. And Ernest says, surprised? <laughs> she says, no, not really. I was getting energy of the Simpsons gag where Homer walks in and goes to the bathroom and Bart says, Dad, we're in here. And Homer turns around and says, oh, sorry, Bart. I didn't realize that you, Jay Leno, and a monkey were bathing a clown. Because that's just the way that the plot, totally separate from Homer's, has built up to that. And Homer just says that, like, without really thinking too much about it. Always a big laugh for me. Very much a similar moment. So despite being very young, Hermione's always going to be the, like, more cynical one. I don't know why she hangs around him so long. Like, she's just kind of always there with them for the rest of the movie. She's like, all right, you're in this now, which there was literally she was just trying to escape someone accosting her. I don't know why that turned into you're going to spend all of Christmas Eve with us. I mean, it kind of gives some explanation to it. She's a lonely person and all that. But well, and she's a runaway. So I'm not sure if she has like a home to go to beyond. Right, right. That's what like her parents. So she's looking for somewhere to sleep and that, you know, they offer that. So. She's couch surfing. And I feel like I am not going to sell the vibe of this movie well enough. I, I really do think it's like pretty polished and every character is distinct. I like this agent who keeps trying to steer Joe away from Santa. And the agent, I think his name is Marty. He has a license plate on his car that says Big Deals. And... I wonder if this actor did other things because he's got crazy eyes, like one eye that is way out of alignment with his other eye, just way off wall-eyed to the side. Yeah, he did a pretty good job as the comically corporate villain of an 80s movie. Always got to have that. And one of the times that Santa gets waylaid and interrupted in his mission he actually gets taken to jail so santa's in the slammer and Ernest and harmony have to go get him out i like this scene where they do this for one santa wins over all the prisoners with his christmas spirit and like he's got them caroling so this movie has a lot in common with miracle on 34th street when was the last time you watched miracle on 34th street then Never seen it. You've never seen Miracle on 34th Street? I might have seen most or all of it when I was a kid. I don't even remember if that was the remake or the original. But no, I've never seen Miracle on 34th Street. Oh my gosh. I watched that like every other year, and I would probably give that one an 8. Classic film. This borrows a lot of beats from Miracle on 34th Street. The big difference is that the Santa in Miracle on 34th Street doesn't necessarily have any magic and you could read it that he is just a normal guy who there's like a lot of coincidences at work and maybe it's just that he has the santa spirit this santa in earnest is definitely the guy and is magic and has elves but as far as like him having the bonding moments with children and him going even to jail and, you know, people saying, is he crazy? Is he not crazy? Is pretty similar. Right. I can see that. Yeah. 
And I mean, you kind of have that in like the Santa Claus, for example, too, when Tim Allen starts to become Santa Claus and people being like, you're not really Santa. You're just letting yourself fall apart here. That's a really good movie, too. I, <laughs> when, I like when he shaves off the beard and then it just warps back in on his face. Oh, man, I just looked up the guy who played the agent in the same year. 1988 he was also in die hard talk about a christmas one-two punch for one year whoa but apparently he's an unnamed businessman so not a big role i also like the actor who plays joe carruthers the soon-to-be santa this is an actor named oliver clark and i've seen him pop up in a few smaller roles in various things i feel like joe carruthers must have been his biggest part well, I clicked on his filmography, and the only purple link, the only logged one on Letterboxd, was A Star is Born from 1976. That's right. He played the agent of the guy. Christofferson. Chris Christofferson, that's it. Not Chris Catan. That was a different guy. Very different, yeah. No, I can't, <laughs> I can't think of that agent, so I would have to go revisit. 76 yeah he wasn't as big a presence as the agent in the first two mm -hmm. like he never it never had the blow-up scene where they like fight in the bar like james mason fights the agent in the 50s and the guy before that fight fought the agent and that scene just never came in the 70s but when he briefly passed through the movie it's like oh that's him joker <laughs> others santa ho 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 <laughs> i know him Something else that's going on in the background of this movie is that the other claws accoutrement are coming together. Like, the sleigh and the reindeer got shipped down to Orlando in crates, and so they're at, like, a holding facility. I guess they are at the airport as well, like an airmail lot. And so are th there are these two characters. Was there a version of these guys in Goes to Camp? Yes. So in Goes to Camp, they're the cooks in the cafeteria and they have this wacky food machine and they're constantly making really gross. I forget what it is. Eggs, I think it is. And yeah, here they're warehouse workers in the airport warehouse. And I think every movie should have a Balkan skull, Brian. That's my theory. A, a bit a, a tall, neurotic guy and. Uh, a fat, overconfident guy. And they they're, they have to be together. They're constantly bickering with each other, probably secretly in love with each other if we wanted to dig any deeper on it. <laughs> yeah, they're in Scared Stupid as well. They are, like, always trying to sell earnest things. And so then once the troll gets loose and is terrorizing people, they are selling him anti-troll gadgets like troll traps and troll away spray and, you know, mask your scent from trolls. But I also think the actors who play the characters changes over the movies. So like, there's always a, a thin one and a fat one, as you say, but it like shifts. Yeah. I think the, the skinny guy might've shifted in between the two of them. I'm pretty sure the fat guy was the same, but the skinny one might not have. Yeah, so they've got the reindeer and the sleigh, and eventually some elves show up to claim the sleigh from them. 
but it takes a while. They don't really come till the end of the movie. So it's the two guys at the holding facility thinking, okay, well, what are we going to do with all these reindeer? Well, the main gag with the reindeer is that they fly, quote unquote. And the way this is represented is they're always walking on the ceiling. And so it's shot. And I'm sure this was like interesting to set up and like diagram out and storyboard. But I assume they shot it by... Because it's real animals, it's real reindeer. I'm sure, I think they shot it by like constructing an upside down set and then like tilting the camera upside down so that it looks like you're looking at the ceiling or whatever. And then kudos to these actors who like do a really good job of selling that they're looking up at something like a real expressive eye acting. So you know that they're looking straight up. I do think that they went to this well of the reindeer on the ceiling like eight times like every time it's like there was a want of more jokes there like how do we make it funny that there's santa stuff in the airport warehouse but they kind of they needed like to bring in a few more writers to come up with gags on that one right three quarters of their arc is just looking up (laughs) but i think this movie does a good job of using a low budget like it manages to have a lot of different things happen while using pretty pedestrian effects to achieve them, especially once the sleigh starts flying around. Well, this is kind of part of my overarching earnest thoughts. So maybe now is not the time for him, but I'll say it anyways, is I think there is a place in this world, in in the movie landscape, for live action cartoons that use practical effects. Because it looks really cool. It's fun to watch, even when it's not sophisticated storytelling, when you have something wacky happening. And I agree with you that this movie and Ernest Goes to Camp as well, they do some cool stuff that make it feel more immersive and kinetic and energetic than it actually is. Like even the the scene in the prison that you talked about, there's some cool stuff where like you can't see all the prisoners, but then like all of them stick their hands out at once and it turns out there's like a hundred of them and stuff. And it's like, okay, This is like in 2023, this would just be some cheap CGI they would throw in there. You know, like it would be kind of lame. But here it actually feels kind of cool. Required some thought. Right. So Ernest, remember, he's a driver. He drives like Ryan Gosling. And so he heads to intercept the sleigh and runs into these elves and... How are they going to get back across the city at rush hour, especially when Ernest, like, damages his tires on some tire spikes at the holding facility? Well, now they're going to fly the sleigh. And then Ernest is at the reins of the sleigh, and the elves are panicking because, of course, he's an idiot. But I like the sleigh flying around because it's, like, super speed, And the way it's all suggested is mostly by, like, low-angle shots and lighting. Like, you only ever see, like, them sitting in the sleigh, but, like, occasionally there'll be a cutaway to, like, you know, in Elmo Saves Christmas last year, we had the shots of them flying around the Earth, and this does the same thing, where it's, like, like Superman 1978 style of... You get a couple wide shots of the earth whipping around underneath them, but mostly it's just close-ups of Ernest, you know, trying to rein in the sleigh. Doing his his wacky rubber face. Right, he's always mugging, always making the faces. I do like 
all the bits where Ernest is like getting out of things. So getting Santa out of the prison or like finding out where the agent is by like going to his agency and interrogating the people at the agency because it's, you know, he's, he's coming up with plans. And I, I like the one, especially at the prison, because in that case, they say they're from the governor's office. So I guess that would have been in Tallahassee or something. They're, they're representatives of Ron DeSantis or whoever it was in 1988. And Harmony poses as the niece of the governor. And he says, now, this school report that the governor's niece is working on, it's really important to the governor that she gets the scoop. And we're here, like, inspecting the prison system. And this is why I think I can't quite sell my my sentiment toward this movie, because it's one that's, like, burned into my brain. And a lot of the lines are very memorable to me. I actually think this is a well-written movie. Because the line that Harmony uses is, Is this the way government really works? <laughs> and she, like, turns on her heel and smacks the the sheriff with her like pigtails so anytime that something weird is going on in the government which happens constantly now just you know something that doesn't seem quite above board always i think is this the way government really works <laughs> and you're wapping your hair around <laughs> yeah have you ever dressed up as Ernest for halloween i have never done an Ernest costume that could be a fun one. It's almost too easy. He does have a distinctive wardrobe. He's got, it's like denim vest, jeans, and like a white shirt under the vest and like a little cap. Right. And so much of it is just the face, like making faces. You'd have to definitely take some pictures of yourself doing the big smile and some of the dumb catchphrases. One thing I don't think they got right in this movie is... They really gave him, like, a peewee house. Like, I thought the stuff at Ernest's house was too peewee. He's got, like, a lot of cartoony decorations. Wait, but wasn't that Vern's house, not his house? Well, no, they're briefly at Vern's house. I don't think they're at Vern's house the whole time. I think they're only at Vern's house when they go to the party. Because it's like there's there's a fancy house that's Vern's house. And they say that Vern, in this movie at least, is a nuclear physicist. Gotcha. I taught him everything he knows about nuclear physics. And yeah, for a scene, they go and visit Ernest's friend Vern. And it's shot in the style, the POV first person. And he's like smashing around with a Christmas tree. Doing some real damage, like trying to plug in the lights and like ripping wiring out of the wall and be like, we got to get some bolt cutters to fix this one. Bolt cutters. Yeah. Another instance of just something that I always think of if I'm doing, you know, home improvement type work. I know what we need. Bolt cutters. Who Ernest actually re reminded me of, this is like a totally random thing, is in the very early Berenstein Bears books, before it became like a kids learn a lesson mass produced series there was like maybe five books that came out maybe it was more i don't know that were the berenstein bears family but the premise is that the dad is an overconfident idiot and like 
he he says stuff as if he knows what he's talking about, but he constantly like bumbles through stuff and they still make it through everything ultimately okay, despite the dad's bumbling. And that's exactly the energy of Ernest. Like when he feels he acts like he knows what he's doing and then he bumbles through it and everything works out all right, unless you're his taxi uh, fare who ends up having a heart attack halfway through. Unless I'm wrong, and I hardly ever am. That's an opening clause in one of Ernest's sentences. I really like some of his turns of phrase, too, because he'll say, like, what's the word for it? They're not mondegreens, they're not spoonerisms, they might be egg corns. It's when you, it's like what a lot of the family circus jokes are. Malapropisms, I think, is the word I'm looking for. Where mm. he'll, he'll use the wrong word, but like you understand what he's trying to say. I think that's a malapropism. But an example is that he'll say, <laughs> call it a fifth sense, call it a flash of perspiration. <laughs> that's pretty good. He also uh, gets the name of the reindeer wrong. Like, he calls one of them Blister. <laughs> yeah, just a lot of good lines. I will say, go and see this one. Even if you're an earnest neophyte, this can be experienced on its own. It's the only one that's on Disney+. Plus. It seems like it's the one that they are eager to claim. I get the sense that... I Well, I don't know. I haven't seen too many of the earnest ones, but I have a hunch, especially because they're, like, playing someone stupid getting things wrong that there's probably some problematic elements in a handful of these like even the camp one there's like a native american tribe and it's very stereotypical native americans mystical type of stuff that might have seemed uh open-minded in the 80s but feels kind of regressive now <laughs> possibly i haven't seen Ernest goes to africa in a while there's a joke about that one given the air of being problematic in the short-ass movies skit. <laughs> that poster makes me nervous, so one of them says. <laughs> Another time that Ernest weasels somebody out of somewhere is he goes to the movie studio where Joe Carruthers is working. He's like doing the screen test for Christmas Slay. And I like everything that's going on here because you've got the director who we haven't seen yet um and it's not a huge part he kind of looks like joey from full house i always wonder like what else did these actors do and it probably wasn't a lot but that the director's like given notes and he's got the script girl the script supervisor like leaning in over his shoulder like helping him and so the director says you're bubbling over with the um, and the script supervisor says, Christmas spirit, Christmas spirit. The one thing about Ernest doing all his sort of master of disguise, being different characters and having plans is to me, it didn't really jibe with Ernest as kind of uh, only half aware dope of what's going on. Like it requires far too much panache and confidence and to, to pull off. Not that Ernest lacks confidence, but just like a, it, it doesn't. He's so well, as his name would say, he's he's Ernest. He's forthright. He he doesn't have a filter for what he's thinking. So him doing elaborate schemes felt a little off for what the rest of the character is. 
But obviously it's seeing Varney play some character and it works. That's fun in that dimension. Right. You said live action cartoon and that certainly comes through in these moments. But when he goes to the movie studio, he poses as a worker from the Apopka Snake Ranch. So he's like a crocodile Dundee, but more rustic than that. Like a scary, almost hillbilly guy. He says, is this where the horror movie folk be? (laughs) He says he's got a load of poison snakes for them horror movie folk. And that's enough to get them in the studio a lot. But then it backfires on them because people actually come around the corner with a big load of snakes and dump them in Ernest's truck. So that always makes me laugh. It's like when the plan works too well. Him getting bitten by something seems to be a recurring gag, at least across two movies. In the first one, it's snapping turtles, and here it's snakes, and he gets to make his owie face. (laughs) Right. After all is said and done, and they get Santa away from the movie studio, he has to get all the snakes out of his truck, so there's just a quick gag where he's digging through, just tossing snakes out over his shoulders... And then he stands up and he's still got a bunch of them latched onto his face. For a bit, Joe is waffling. Okay, do I pursue this career path or do I go with the crazy homeless man who tells me that I can be Santa Claus? And I actually think this is pretty, like, heartfelt. I think this, like, late act uncertainty is played well. Especially because every character has something to do and it seems organic. Like Harmony has taken Santa's bag. So Santa then can't like demonstrate that to Joe and say, hey, this is magic, see? And so there's like lots of questions of faith and do you trust people? Do you have wonderment in your life? Or is it? about the bottom line is it about harsh reality yeah i agree i think it does a good job of capturing the christmas spirit while still feeling like a big goofy time you know finally at the climax all the pieces come together because harmony runs back across town to the children's museum with santa's sack that she had stolen but she has redeemed herself. She's running back to return it. And Ernest and the elves bring the sleigh, and Joe sees them flying the sleigh over the city as he's, like, about to sign on the dotted line and join this film project that he has his own qualms about because he's going to need to swear in the movie and, like, cast aside his wholesome image. That's another director note that I like, is... Joe halts the shooting and he says, do I really have to swear? And the director says, you need to do it. Otherwise, it seems totally unmotivated when you pick up that axe and you hack him to pieces. (laughs) (laughs) About this, like, creature from the Black Lagoon monster that's in Christmas sleigh. When we talked about the disaster artist, he said that that beard shaving is the most painful beard shaving How does the beard shaving in this one compare to that one, Brian? (laughs) Oh, it's close. The only reason that this 
it doesn't measure up to the one in the disaster artist is that Santa can just magic a beard back on his face as we find out. Right. But yeah, like part of the reason that Joe got the Santa gig is he's got the beard for it. And then the agent is always saying, you got to shave your beard, Joe. You got to look younger. You're starting a new chapter in your life. And then, yeah, Santa tracks Joe to his house, which is bold. <laughs> and Joe says, well, how do you know where my house is? Because they just think he's a guy, but he's a Santa and he knows everything. So that's how he knows where the house is. But yeah, he walks in and Joe comes around the corner and he pulls the towel down and he has just shaved the beard and it's gone. So, yeah, an oomph moment. So Santa says that the way that he picked Joe is he had a long list of potential replacements and then each one of them eventually fell off the list for one reason or another. But this guy made the cut. So I was wondering, A, who are the other candidates and like, what do you have to do to fall off the Christmas list? Are we talking about like a public sex scandal or something like that? Sex scandals. Yeah, that's what I think. I mean, what else could it be? <laughs> or like, yeah, maybe they swear in a movie or something like that. Also, does it need to be a public figure or could it just be a nice old grandpa? Hey, grandpa, you're real nice. You want to be Santa now? <laughs> Your name was on a list with several hundred others. Yeah. A lot of work behind the scenes, I guess, on this roster, this Santa fantasy draft. But they all come together at the appointed time at the Children's Museum. Harmony rushes in. Joe rushes in. You know, they've all seen the light. They're ready for this handoff to occur. And even though Joe has shaved... When Santa clasps his hand, the magic surges through him and he santifies. Like, just the sheer magic manifests the suit, manifests the beard. See, I thought of it like uh, in The Little Mermaid when the contract is binding, when Ariel signs the thing and all of a sudden, as soon as she does it, she starts transforming. It's like the, the, with the handshake the deed to Santahood has passed on. <laughs> also, the older Santa says that he has been Santa for a hundred years. Like he started in 1888 and now it's 1988. And they both started when they were 51 because Santa says he's 151. When he goes to prison and he gets booked, he enters on the sheet that he's 151 years old. Joe is also mentioned because the agent says that he's 51. So I don't know if you have to be 51 when you become Santa. Hmm. Something magical about that age. But my question is, if you're 151 years old and the magic has just blasted out of your hand into somebody else, do you just immediately die? How soon do you die after you do that? Oh, like Mother Gothel and Tangled. No, I think it's like you put in cryogenesis. You're frozen. It's kind of like when we were talking about Will Ferrell and Spirited. Exactly. Spirited. You like you're held in a state and then you're returned back to, to your earthly humanhood, your mortal coil, to use the term we did last time. And the aging process resumes. Right. I guess it's like the avatar coming out of the iceberg. I guess he's like a <laughs> an old looking 51 year old again. Yeah, there was a big thing in the late 90s where a bunch of rich people 
started like hiring private contractors to freeze their body once they died so that like by the time science got as far as it could that they could like de-age people that then you could then thaw their body and de-age them bring them back to life and i feel like i haven't heard about that for a while but i remember reading about this when i was like in middle school like the list of celebrities who might have secretly signed some contract with a cryo company to freeze their bodies as soon as they passed away so that they could be revived when the science had advanced there was some major league baseball player who did it i think the i thought it was steinbrenner who was the owner of the yankees but maybe there was a player and of course this was the basis of futurama in the late 90s that's how fry gets to the future but Ernest is brought aboard by joe to drive the sleigh at the end of the movie because he's a driver and he's had experience in the seat. And Harmony gets to go too, because I guess you don't want to leave her out. She's been an important part of the whole process. But she's just going to be dead weight on the sleigh, honestly. Yeah, what is she going to do? Is she going to help hand out the presents? She ain't going in a chimney, I don't think. But what this had me thinking of was the end of a Count Godly episode, where everybody gets to unite for like one last moment. I always liked it when the Gonley episodes ended with everybody pulled together. You know, this probably influenced that. It's like just one final hurrah, everybody cheers. And Santa, the old one, gets to go back to being a normal human named Seth Applegate, which I like as just, okay, we quickly need a name for a character. Well, Seth Applegate. And he gets a date with an old lady. All right, I'm going to look up the most popular names from the 1830s, because what are the odds that there actually was anybody <laughs> named Seth in the 1830s? Because that feels like a very 1980s name to me. Interesting. I'm not really sure. All right, 1831 to 1840, most popular names. John, William, James, George, Charles, Thomas, Henry, Joseph, Samuel, David, Robert, Daniel, Edward, Benjamin, Jacob, Isaac, Andrew, Francis, Richard, Louis, Albert, Peter. Alexandre? It's probably just Alexander, but misspelled. Alexander, Frank, Alfred, Jesse, Abraham. No Seths there, but honestly, those are all like... It's interesting how men names are more static. Like, I don't think any of those names I would think twice about if someone in 2023 was born with that name. Except Abraham. Well, Abraham. <laughs> I don't know. Don't we have a friend we went to high school with together who named one of their first two kids Abraham? I wasn't aware of that that's interesting but i feel like if we looked up the, the women's name from the same time period it would be significantly like they would be all old people names or maybe they've all circled back i don't know mary elizabeth sarah martha margaret nancy Catherine, anne jane susan emily harriet lucy francis ellen caroline rebecca lou okay lou is the curveball in there anyways i'm not convinced that santa was actually named seth <laughs> that's interesting We'll have to form some opinions on that after more research. The handful of times I've written period set fiction, that's always been something I've enjoyed is like imagined how old the character was and then gone and looked at census data from people born from that year and like not necessarily pick the most popular. The cases I like are where a character has like dibs the name forevermore. Like the Muppets. Just you're never going to see the level of Kermit saturation or there's there's just not going to be as many Grovers and 
Oscars and Elmos anymore because those Muppets have claimed those names. Great point. Like, President Teddy Roosevelt had a son named Kermit. And, like, one of the Muppet puppeteers was named Kermit and probably influenced the fact that there's a Kermit there. There are less positive examples of that. Like, I feel like the name Isis is probably out of style for a, a good century or two. Yeah, not a lot of Adolfs. I read an interesting one. Um, in the past 10 years, the name Alexa has plummeted in popularity because of the Amazon. It was actually a pretty popular name prior to that. <laughs> I don't like smart speakers. Why not? I, I don't want one near me. But you post so much stuff on Facebook, Brian. You're an open book. Well, I post that, yeah. And I'm sure the phone is listening anyway. I guess that's curated. But yes, I like to think there's some level of curation. I don't want to just acknowledge, okay, I'm setting a recorder here. Listen to everything. Yeah, it is a little off-putting. Some ooky about it. 1984. Back on track, though. In 1988 rather than 1984. Brian does not love... Big Brother. Indeed. Ernest Saves Christmas, though, I do love. Good movie. We'll tell you how good. It's like a soup. Just a lot of pieces in the mix that I think gel fairly well. It's not 100% seamless, but, you know, successful realization of the live-action cartoon, as you said. Some good vibes. Good Christmas vibes. That's right. So are we ready, Dan, to say, is it good? Sure. So is it good is our signature section where we each give the movie a rating on our eight-point goodness scale, ranging from very not good, which is a one out of eight, to our masterpiece rating, toward a good, which is an eight out of eight. So I guess I will answer, is Ernest Saves Christmas good? So I'm a little mixed on this one. I, I actually think it probably suffered because I watched the Ernest Goes to Camp one first, which... I thought was better. Okay. Yeah. You want to talk about that one first briefly? Yes. So, I mean, they're, they're trying, they're at a camp and they're trying to save the camp. And the things that I thought were better is first of all, I thought the pacing was just better. Like one reaction I had to Ernest Saves Christmas is I feel like, and I think this almost kind of came out in the way that you described the plot is that it, it does the setup. And so like the first half is pretty fun. And then the second half, it just kind of very slowly resolves the setup. It just felt a lot slower to me once we kind of had gotten the, the first couple pieces set up. So I do feel like this one lost steam a little bit. And I also felt like it was a little bit less pure a version of the Ernest experience because it had this other Santa thing in there. And it had, like you said, Ernest doesn't actually end up playing all that much of a role in like the way that things unfold. Like you could pretty easily rewrite this and take Ernest out. Maybe not quite that far, but like. He, he's not the center of the action. And I said that like him being different characters for scenes at a time threw me off a little bit, although it's fun. But in that he doesn't really do that in, in the camp one. Ernest goes to camp. So that one just to me felt like more like the pure Ernest experience. I don't know. I found myself charmed by it. It still is like it's so broad and it's I used this analogy before. It's a little bit like drinking a two liter bottle of Sprite. In that you get the Varney shtick, the mugging, and 90 minutes might be, even though it's a short-ass movie, 90, 90 minutes might be a little much for a whole bunch of that. But I did consistently laugh, and I was charmed, and it's kind of light. It's not high art, but 
This is a kind of movie that needs to exist. There needs to be more of these. So I would give um, Ernest Goes to Camp a five, a good, probably an upper end five. Now, Ernest Saves Christmas, by contrast, it's still charming. I, I actually did still enjoy it quite a bit. I think I obviously would have gotten more out of it if it's something I've been watching since a kid and had been thoroughly imprinted on my brain because I did feel myself checking my watch a little bit in the second half. I'm going to give this one a four, a, a good-ish. Uh, I did enjoy it, and I would not be opposed to watching it again. And I, I am glad that there are Ernest movies out there. I'm glad that there's nine of them. I think of all the things to get stretched out, I think it's more worthy to have nine Ernest movies than it is to have 12 Friday the 13th movies. But I don't know, maybe that's just me. And uh, I would definitely consider watching more of these, although I expect that my reaction will be kind of the same as it is here, which is that nothing feels like the pure version quite like the first one does. So that's that's Ernest Saves Christmas. That's a four for me. So what about you, Brian? I know you like this one. I hope I haven't rained on your parade too much here. No, well-reasoned. And maybe we'll return to the franchise come Halloween because I do think Scared Stupid is worth talking about. So let's see, I'll go and I'll rate Goes to Camp. For me, I give Goes to Camp a four, a good-ish. And I think there's something to what you're saying that it's pure, where it sticks to Ernest being Ernest and introducing what he is as a character without getting too into the weeds of having him be other stuff. I do really like the beat at the climax of that movie when it gets sad and we have him singing the song, I'm awfully glad it's raining. When he says that the rain will hide the tears in his eyes because it looks like the camp is going to close and you get kind of this unexpected moment, this down note of emotion from Ernest. And I found that poignant. One more thing I want to throw out there about Ernest Goes to Camp. I, d I do agree with that. And I think it really does right by the emotions of the non-Ernest characters and even the Ernest character. He's got an arc where he wants to be a full-on counselor. And he gets kind of set up with something that's doomed to make him fail. But then he makes it work. So that's kind of nice. But my favorite thing about that movie is that the climax, when they're fighting against the big bag corporation that's trying to claim the camp for themselves, is... It pulls in a bunch of throwaway slapstick gags that become like the things they use to fight against the corporation. You thought they were just throwaway, but then they come back. So an example is there's a scene where he gets bit by a snapping turtle and they have to sing So Happy Together, which is by a band called the Turtles, to soothe the turtle. But then... They like launch paratrooping snapping turtles against the construction workers and like a triumphant version of So Happy Together plays in the background. And there's a thing where he's trying to get a propane lighter lit, but ends up like shooting the propane tank up into the air like a firework. And then in the final scene, they're launching propane tanks like they're fireworks. And there's the kind of B story of the, the fat guy and the skinny guy, the bulk in the skull trying to make the gross camp food and they come up with this machine to like make the food. And then they turn that machine on the, the corporation guys like launching corn dogs at them and stuff. I don't think it's actually corn dogs, but that's the image I have in my head. And I thought that was a really satisfying payoff and like more clever than I expected the movie to be. Like when you pull stuff together, I always like that. I like that. I'm probably due to revisit that one. 
it has been some years. But Ernest Saves Christmas is the one that has been with me since the beginning, and I'm sure that colors my judgment. But I almost kind of like that Ernest is de-emphasized, that this could just be a story of this charming Santa. I think I said it, but I would give Miracle on 34th Street an 8, and so probably just the fact that that influences this raises my rating. But the mixture really works for me, and I think the script is good. I'm going to give this a 6 out of 8, a very good... For reference, I think I would also give Scared Stupid a 4. Before the most recent watch, I would have given it a 5. It slipped a little bit. Uh, but we may have to watch that one. It's got trolls. Ernest fighting trolls. And everything else would be lower. I would probably give Ernest Goes to School a 1. Wow. Maybe that's too harsh. But it really was not good. I thought you were an Ernest head here, Brian. It's a grab bag. Maybe it deserves a two. Maybe I'm being too cruel. But ups and downs. Broadly, I really find the character likable. And I think here where he's with the charming Santa and the other charming guy who's deciding if he wants to be Santa and the girl who's kind of on the fence about where she's going with her life. And so she falls in with these crazy characters. It works for me. A lot of memorable lines. I like the film crew. I like the guy, I guess he's the producer, at the signing of Joe Carruthers' contract for the movie studio. And he says, you think you can dictate changes to me? You've been saying please and thank you so long. You think that's how things really work. Well, get with it, man. This is the real world. And yeah, for a movie to be burned in my consciousness, it's not too bad of one. And that's how I feel about Ernest Saves Christmas. Not a masterpiece, but like Dan said, a movie that should exist. What's a movie that shouldn't exist? <laughs> After oh, last season, maybe? Yeah. No, I, I don't know. I feel like that should exist, too. There should be a Nadir in cinematic art. <laughs> uh, Godfather 3? Okay, that's a pretty good answer. I don't know. Yeah, what would you say? A movie that shouldn't exist. I need to reflect on that one. I was going to say more American Graffiti, but again, I'm glad that it exists. I don't know. Sometimes like if a movie has no purpose to exist, its mere existence becomes fascinating. Very well said. And it gives us something to talk about, if nothing else. So, Dan, what is next on the docket? So, Brian, I feel like one of our things has become that we are defenders, advocates for the Zombies franchise. It's something that we talk about a lot. Advocacy for the Zombies franchise. And I would say more broadly, the Disney Channel original movie and the musicals in particular. I think we've hit most of them. We haven't done The Descendants, which I do want to do at some point. But there's a movie that you and I have talked about off pod. I don't know if it's come up on pod. It has in an episode that we have in the can that hasn't been released yet. And that is a knockoff Disney Channel original movie. It's basically trying to be one, but it's not by Disney. It's by Sony, I think. I need to double check that. And it's Christian. It's telling the story of the nativity, the birth of Jesus. But it's basically being a Disney Channel original movie as it does that. So, And who does it star, Dan? Yes, that's the big connection. Is It stars Milo Mannheim, who's Zed in the zombie movies. So... He plays Joseph in it. 
this is blowing my mind ever since I heard about this. And of course, I ran to tell Dan and Dan already knew. Yeah, it's like we might just spend this recording just like staring silently at the microphone, like contemplating what in life brought us to this moment. But let's let's watch and let's discuss Journey to Bethlehem, a film that just came out this year, Brian. I can't wait. It'll be a perfect way to head into, you know, the true 12 days of Christmas, because as I hope all our listeners know, the 12 days of Christmas start with the 25th. And then it goes on beyond that until we get to Three Kings Day. I'm always down for a good 12 days of Christmas discussion. It's a very it's a fascinating exercise. Do you have a favorite gift, Brian? I think the Pipers would get people's attention. If if somebody gives you 11 Pipers, but I would think that the most valuable would be the five golden rings. It's like, just ignore all the birds. Just give me the five golden rings and I can buy more portable gifts. Things that I don't have to feed. What about you, Dan? Well, I don't know if I really have an answer. I kind of asked you just open-ended. But one thing I've been thinking about recently when I've been listening to the song this winter is... What does it mean if you are given a person, a piper piping? Are you given a performance by the piper? Or is it like a, a slavery situation that you now own this piper? I don't know, like a contract that gets switched to? What is the function of the maids of milking? Like, yeah. do you, are you just watching them do it? Do you get the milk? Do you get the cow? Oh, good question. Did the cows come with it? Otherwise, what are they going to be milking, Brian? <laughs> I don't have any cows. I don't have any milkable things. <laughs> debatable i have nipples greg could you milk me another movie i haven't seen let's meet the parents right you never seen meet the parents no oh man we gotta do a double feature of miracle on 34th street and meet the parents <laughs> yeah well this has been fun all right i appreciate yeah. you permitting me this walk down memory lane with ernest saves christmas yeah this was fun brian thank you very much and I now consider myself an earnest supporter, pro-earnest. Good. Listeners, stick your toe into the earnest franchise. Pick one of the chapters, preferably one of the early chapters. See what you think and decide for yourself if you want to go deeper than that. I think it's effective use of low-budget filmmaking. All right, Brian. Well, I will catch up with you soon. I'm looking forward to, to Journey to Bethlehem and have a Merry Christmas and a Merry Holiday Break. You too, Dan. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, listeners. And a happy new year! Ah! What's that? Pee-wee? That's the, the Pee-wee special. I just watched that with my kids. Yeah. And they liked it, but my four-year-old kept saying, when's the movie going to start? She didn't understand that, like, that was the movie. I don't, she didn't quite get the idea of it, so... <laughs> I like that response. All right. <laughs> See you later, Brian. Bye, Dan. Bye, everybody. Thanks. Thanks.